why, if my immune system isn't functioning the way it should, it should be in my control to shift that. Something I've done or unknowingly or knowingly must have like mm-hmm. this. Like just doesn't make sense. I just have this deep belief that our bodies are made to work mm-hmm. uh, and to function. It's one of the reasons I chose DO school. And I just believed that that, that didn't make sense. And I believe that there was another alternative. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I am joined today by Dr. Aaron Donaldson, who is a board-certified family doctor and a graduate of Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. Erin began her career practicing hospital medicine and since then has transitioned to her true passion, which is providing preventive care through wellness and disease prevention. And we currently work together at Wild Health, which is the precision medicine practice that partnered with CrossFit to provide CrossFit precision care. So I'm excited to have you today, Erin. I'm excited to dive in and talk about your personal journey with lupus, which is an autoimmune condition, and how that has also informed your current practice and your passion for helping other patients. So thank you so much for joining me. We were just talking about how um, our shared interest in pickleball and how you just had a great pickleball game earlier this morning on a Sunday. So thanks for taking the time. Of course. It's awesome to be here, Julie. Thanks for having me. And I'm a newbie to the pickleball game. (laughs) Me too. Very much so. Very much so. I'm looking for people at my level to learn with. So (laughs) Um, did you play any other sports growing up or anything similar? Um, I played tennis when I was young. So some history with racket sports, I would (laughs) guess, is actually (laughs) all through um, growing up and through high school and even some, uh, club sports in college was, uh, volleyball and soccer for me. So really athletic growing up actually till my kind of illnesses started. Um, so that was a big transition point for me. Um, and now yoga is like a every, almost everyday thing for me, but I still like to get outside and run and do all the other stuff too. Of course. Of course. I was going to say, I I guess I can't use that as an excuse because I did take tennis lessons when I was younger and I'm pretty sure. I don't know. The extent of my racket sports was probably badminton in school gym class or something. That's awesome. Um, well, I think, you know, your story is so interesting because you have really lived your own example as you were learning medicine, you were going through this yourself as a patient, and now you're using that experience to help others. Um, and really were able to see firsthand some of the ways that our healthcare system fell short for you and had to seek other answers, which I think is really amazing. And I want to dive into that, but first let's just back up and start off with why medicine, why did you decide to become a doctor? Oh, good question. I don't have a great answer for this one. I'm one of those people that knew since I was three or four that I wanted to be a doctor. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. There's no doctors in my family. Um, so, and I tried to talk myself out of it a few times. Like I also, (laughs) artist growing up, which is interesting because I still really enjoy the creative side of what we do um, and in my personal work. Um, But yeah, I knew since I was a really small girl and 
I like ventured out. Maybe I wanted to be a veterinarian or go into some other scientific fields, but it just always came back to that. So I knew. I love that. Well, maybe you had a really good pediatrician or something when you were little that just somehow planted the seed. I didn't have a good pediatrician. You know, what's really cool. My pediatrician, actually, when I graduated medical school, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma and my pediatrician Uh came down and gave me, he welded this sign. It's like on the corner of my office. That's so cool. And in like these huge letters and (laughs) a sign with my name when I graduated. So that is adorable. I love it. I love it. And you mentioned, you know, you were very athletic growing up and played a lot of soccer and volleyball, but how else would you describe your life prior to medical school? Yeah, good question. I grew up in, till I was about nine, I grew up on a bunch of land, lived on 40 acres in the middle of nowhere. We didn't even have like a real mailbox. Um, (laughs) Roamed around when I was little, like a little farm kid. Uh, Adventure in nature. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Which is still, I think, you know, a big part of my life still. We're outside all the time. Um, And so that was kind of the beginning, a little bit of turbulence growing up, uh, within the family, some addiction, some other stuff. I think we Mm -hmm. all had something that we went through in our lives. Um, and I feel like I learned so much from it that serves me still. Um, Mm -hmm. and been always very, very close to my family. My brother and sister are still to this day, my best friends. Um, my brother lives in Alaska, so I get to go like play there sometimes. And then my sister miles from me. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, okay. So always knew you wanted to be a doctor, finally get to med school and get started. And what was your experience like in that first, first year or two? You know, it was kind of interesting to back up a tiny bit. I got my first like big round of illness, the end of undergrad. Um, I got, uh, I think you know this, I got osteomyelitis with MRSA osteomyelitis after a surgery. And so I actually had to pull out of college for a year, which I think in hindsight is really hard, but in Mm -hmm. hindsight, it was one of like the better things because really humbled me. I was a lot more type A before that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that experience, like the end of college was so hard. I decided to take a, like a free year and I just mm-hmm. like managed and bartended and had fun um, before med school. So I went in with a pretty, like a much more laid back attitude than I think oh. I would have otherwise, which was kind of really special. That's actually um, amazing. Yeah. I think, I think just based on my past experience in the past couple of years, I'm such an advocate now telling everyone like, take extra time, take, you know, before you start med school or after med school or before, after residency, just um, like, you're never going to regret it because I think the, you know, the type A, like you said, people who tend to go into medicine, um, we follow this path of always doing the next thing. And then often don't really have time for ourselves or don't really stop to look at the bigger picture. And sometimes when we're forced to do it, maybe not in the way that we want to, um, Mm -hmm. it really opens our eyes. So that's, you know, good that you have that perspective, I guess, on your osteomyelitis. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I applied it as much to my self-care, that whole like loosening the grip idea that we're but the first couple of years of med school were fun. I was going a million miles an hour. I was working uh, quite a bit. I actually worked about 30 plus hours a week in the evenings. So like, wow. Um, had some like family obligations and stuff that was going on and uh, worked out actually at Cross. That was like the time of my mm-hmm. life. I did a lot of CrossFit. Um, yeah. So I did a lot of that. 
the first two years. And then, you know, you know how it is though. Not to mention the first years of med school and how much (laughs) time and energy that demands. Yeah. I always did love med school. Like I loved learning it. I still do. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm still like very curious about it and intrigued. So I always enjoyed it, but I think I definitely burnt the candle at both ends and like skipped on sleep and, you know, of course that's, that's what we do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you were having the time of your life for a couple of years, but then it started to take a toll. So can Mm -hmm. you describe when you first started to notice something wasn't quite right with your health? Yeah, very specifically, actually. So I was actually on with my CrossFit, like family, basically we were Mm -hmm. on a trip to Lake Austin um, for a weekend. So it was kind of a like fun weekend. We also did sleep a ton and, uh, really active and then got home, had an upper respiratory infection, just a cold. Um, and I would get sick pretty frequently at that Mm -hmm. point in my life. It's funny because I never get sick now, almost ever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I just let myself get more run down and it wasn't that big of a deal when I was sick. And then I just didn't get over it. So Mm. I like the respiratory symptoms went away, but then I started getting fevers every day. And mm. and I started getting like really red hot swollen joints, um, rashes, other symptoms, really tired. I would have to take a nap after classes. Um, mm. I would wake up in the middle of the night, my hands would just be throbbing. Mm. And it was a big wake up call. I actually had to quit my CrossFit gym because I couldn't grip the barbell or I couldn't oh grip my gosh. the bar. Yeah. My hands just were like were too stiff. They like would not function. Um so after like a decent portion of denial, my family was like, you need to get this looked at. Uh, something's up. You're not yourself. Of course. We're probably always the last people to actually go get it checked out ourselves being in medicine. <laughs> we're like, I'll be fine. It'll go away. <laughs> For yeah. sure. Yeah. So I went in uh, just to do a primary care. Um, and I think even like my doc, I didn't know my doc that well, but he knew something was up with my hands. Like they just did mm-hmm. not look right. Like the mm-hmm. knuckles were huge and red and it just was not, it was not right. Um, so he did some blood work and told me I had antibodies consistent with a lupus diagnosis. And I knew just enough to hurt me at that point mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my second year. Uh, I think it was in my second year of my school when this happened. Um, and so got set up with a rheumatologist and thought I was going to go down the traditional path, um, had a pretty awful first visit with the rheumatologist mm. and which I'm really grateful for now. Cause it really kind of prompted me to go toward a different path. Um, but it was pretty, pretty hard at the time. Yeah. Tell us more about the visit. What was so hard mm. about it? Well, I think I was really, I put a lot of expectation on it. Like there had been a long period of not understanding and not knowing and fear and uncertainty. And going into that visit, I was like, now I'm going to find all my answers. Yeah. And, you know, everything's going to be clear from here on out. And he was extremely matter of fact. Um, we didn't really vibe. Um, mm-hmm. He wrote, basically like said, you have lupus. Here's a prescription. You know, do you have any questions? Mm-hmm. And I'm how long do I need to take this? How serious is this medication? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, well, basically kind of shuts down, dampens your immune system. So it stops attacking your tissues. Um, for if like some of the listeners aren't as familiar, lupus is uh, autoimmune where your immune system kind of gets confused and attacks your own body's tissues. It can be 
all ranges of severity. Like when I was in hospital medicine, I would see lupus patients with very severe organ damage. I luckily was not in that category when mine started. It was mostly my connective tissues and just feeling awful. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't like a life-threatening state at this time. And I feel super grateful and lucky about that. Um, but my rheumatologist basically said, you're going to need to take this for the rest of your life. And that's all, that's all we can do. It will slowly get worse. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of all she wrote about this. And I'm like thinking I'm around people with infections all the time. I'm about yeah. to hospital rounds. This isn't going to work. And I asked him if there was anything I could do with my lifestyle that could make a difference. And he laughed and said, you know, there's no evidence to suggest anything with lifestyle could help this. Um, you can do some neck stretches if your joint or your some stretches. Here's a handout for stretches if your joints are hurting you. And I'm like thinking I'm in CrossFit and I'm a DO and I'm like, yeah, I do, like I know how to do stretches. That's not the problem. <laughs> um, and he walked out and I was, I just felt really helpless and alone when I walked out of that visit. Like I was going in for answers and I walked out having many more questions and also just kind of feeling betrayed by this system that I'd wanted to be a part of since I was such a little kid. Mm -hmm. You know, like I thought we were here to help people and it was just this like very cold, sterile feeling in there. Mm -hmm. And like devoid of empathy. So it was a really, it changed the way I practice for the rest of my life. That's for sure. So, wow. wow. Well, similar to what you said before, it's interesting. Those experiences is as hard as I can only imagine what that was like for you in that moment, how big of an impact it's had on you as a doctor to know, like, okay, I know how this feels and I don't ever want one of my patients to feel that way and to have that empathy and to have that hope and, um, sort of partnership with your patients that I, you know, know that you have now. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so okay. right. Like, like we, I think even like the terminology in medicine, I think you'll relate to me on this. Like mm -hmm. patients, diabetics, when they, it's like, it's not who they are. Like it's not the type <laughs> right. They struggle processing energy at, from food. That's, you know, that's not, that doesn't mean it has to be their identity. Um, so many labels. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like very, just like my identity was changed forevermore walking mm -hmm. out of here at first, at first. Mm -hmm. yeah. What helped you to turn the corner then to not, you know, cause I could see so many people being in that situation and just walking away and feeling hopeless and just saying, well, this is it. Like, I'm just going to have this and be on this medication for the rest of my life. And and just accepting that, but obviously you didn't. So what helped you turn the corner? I've asked myself that question a lot. Um, I think I have to attribute a lot of this to my mom, to be honest. Mm. She raised us to be really curious and have a lot of grit um, and kind of not take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. And I walked out of there and I was, I felt quite a bit of self-pity, stumbling in the valley of victimhood for a little bit there. Sure. And, uh, and then I was like, it just doesn't make sense. Like why? Like if my immune system isn't functioning the way it should, like it should be in my control to shift that. Something I've done or unknowingly or knowingly must have like mm -hmm. this. Like just doesn't make sense. I just have this deep belief that our bodies are made to work mm -hmm. uh, and to function. It's one of the reasons I chose DO school. Um, and I I just believed that 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 didn't make sense. And I believe that there was another alternative, which I think that hope was pretty crucial looking back. Mm -hmm. And so then I got 
my hands on everything I could about reading about autoimmune stories and what people have experienced. Um, and I, even the science of it, like what you learn in medical school, it's like, it should make sense what we put in our bodies, how we move our bodies, how we sleep totally. impact things, even though we don't really learn it that way. It doesn't, it does, it didn't compute to me even really early on. Um, and so then I started reading all these stories about these people who, you know, I started doing yoga cause I read that one person with an autoimmune disease felt so much better on yoga. And I was like, well, I can't do CrossFit right now anyway. So let me, let me, gent- you know, let me soften this and see, see how this works. Um, I completely changed my diet and it was this like fumbling mess of trial and error that got way harder before it got better. <laughs> my rock bottom was later on as far as how I felt. Um, mm-hmm. I respectfully told my doctor, I disagreed with him and would, I would continue to check labs and make sure I wasn't going into any organ failure, but I was going to try to do things my way and see what happened. Wow. Well, good for you. And I think just highlighting how important that curiosity is, I think so. And also for us as healthcare providers to make sure that we have curiosity and that we can encourage that in our patients and welcome it, but also as patients that just because, you know, you're told something doesn't necessarily mean it's true and always question it and where it came from and does it apply to you and, and always ask questions, right? Because, um, things are not always what they seem on the outside. Um, and you never know unless you ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear more if you can share. So yoga was one thing that you started, um, sort of other things that you tried and then talk about this rock bottom that you just referred to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I ended up moving home just because I couldn't really make it work. I was going to basically have to drop out of med school or move home and get help, which Mm -hmm. learning to receive and get help was a big theme of getting better. Actually, Um, I got a dose of that during my osteo, like all, I had a few surgeries during that experience. And I, like at one point my family was bathing me because I had a pick Mm -hmm. line and like, I got a very humbling dose of receiving during that experience. And then I think I rebounded of like anything life throws at me, I'm going to just forge through it. Mm-hmm. And the lupus diagnosis was very different. It was more of like, it had to be a surrender to the process, um, mm-hmm. which was a very new feeling for me and tactic for me in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Like a softening versus like trying to like out strength what was happening and I didn't really say that correctly, but I think you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I ended up moving home, which is like such a punch in the gut. Like I was like paying all my own bills and my car and had my whole CrossFit family and, you know, had all my good friends in med school. And I was just this social butterfly. And then, you know, now I'm like taking naps after rounds and my family's meal prepping for me. Cause I'm sleeping like 10 hours a day, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, my rock bottom was definitely when it got bad enough that I had to wake up an hour earlier before rounds, which anyone who's gone to medical school knows, like, especially when you're in, in OB or surgery, you're already getting up so dang early. It's already early. So, yeah. I couldn't really move my body when I woke up though. It was just so stiff. So I'd wake up like an hour early, do my yoga and stretches and, you know, try to get my body moving, but it was still so bad, Julie, that like, I, um, I couldn't turn my car on, like my hands weren't working. So my wow. mom was turning my car on for me, oh uh, mornings. And that was just like, that was probably my rock bottom. Cause I want to accepting help. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be a surgeon at that point. And I'm like, am I going to be able to hold surgical instruments? Am I going to, you know, like, how is this going to work? Um, 
so funny. Fast forward now, I landed exactly, you know, where I should have. It's so mm-hmm. funny. These work, but Right. Like imagine if you hadn't had that and then you had fallen in love with surgery and done that, you know, things would have been totally different. Wow. Wow. Um, Okay. So you're living at home, you're, you know, needing help with all of these things, like, you know, prepping food, making sure you get enough sleep every day, turning on your car. Um, You had been doing yoga and stretches what other things were you reading about? What other things did you try and experiment with during this time? Even the things that didn't work for you or some of the ones that did? Yeah, a really profound book for me, which I don't think I've brought up on one of these interviews before, um, was this book called Despite Lupus, which was this mm. like really, um, high functioning, uh, like executive girl and like marketing, I think, or I don't know what she was in. Um, this was a long time ago. I read this, but it was like a picture of like slowing your life down and how it can turn uh. out but like much more beautiful. And I felt just very, um, I felt a lot less alone when I read that because I was reading stories of like, her husband would try to like kiss her goodnight, but she couldn't roll over because her body hurt so bad. And she, you know, and her babies would be crying in the night and she couldn't like wake up to go get them and hold them. And like these little moments that we don't necessarily think to ask our patients about, or even think about ourselves when things, Mm -hmm. illnesses come up or hardship comes up. Um, so I read that and then I started employing these like things she was doing differently. Like she, she was prioritizing sleep. She was prioritizing rest and recovery and she was prioritizing herself, which was really new for me. And so I, besides yoga, probably the second biggest thing I learned how to do differently was saying no to mm-hmm. obligations, mm-hmm. Um, which was really hard for me. I was such an automatic yes person. Uh, didn't want to like let anybody down or miss out. Um, but I just didn't have the energy for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was almost like you, you didn't have an option. You had to start saying no. Yeah. I think looking back, my body had actually been sending me all these micro messages for so long, but I was so like distracted from feeling my body. Um, mm-hmm. and so busy and so on that I didn't get the messages until it like hit me over the head. It was like, listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't, you don't have an option now. (laughs) We're taking over. Yeah. Yeah. So like just slowing down, um, resting yoga and changing the diet were the the big first one, first like round of changes that I did. Mm -hmm. And, um, with the diet, what were some of the changes that you started with there? So I was already gluten-free because after osteo and I was on Vanco for a few months, uh, which is like a really potent antibiotic for people that may not know, um, through the IV, um, after that experience and like my gut health changed, I got diagnosed with celiac after mm-hmm. that. So I was already strictly gluten-free, but I kind of ate whatever I wanted outside of that. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, it, so I could, I thought it didn't matter. I didn't really yeah. know what I know now. Um, <laughs> of course. And then I went straight to paleo for like a year okay. uh, after this diagnosis, because a lot of the people in like the CrossFit group I was working out with were already really supportive of that. So I knew about it. And mm-hmm. I, um, then the more I read like all like of what foods are inflammatory, it kind of fit the bill. So mm-hmm. I really strictly changed my diet. And I also cut out all alcohol um, at that phase. Uh, and so that was a big, that was an enormous change, but I was already at home, like, I'd had killed my social life anyway. So it was a lot easier to start start eating that way. Totally. And you had some help with meal prep. That always makes it easier too. As long as your your family was on board with cooking that way, I guess. (laughs) 
And we are. So I'm very lucky. Actually, you may not know this. My family owns a chain of like organic gluten-free bakeries and they have like a paleo line and a keto line. And that's amazing. Yeah. So I was so lucky. Like all the things were like at my fingertips. I was, that was another thing that like, um, I, I forgot to mention about the initial experience when I went to the rheumatologist and I like was navigating the healthcare system and it was so complicated, mm-hmm. and, like not supportive. I was like, man, I am, I have all this family support, social support. I, I've got some financial support. I'm in medical school. Like I have some education on this and it's so hard. Like Mm -hmm. how does everyone else feel? Like that, that was a big like wake up moment for me of like, I have so like much, so many blessings in this and it's impossible. Like how do people even begin, you know, when they're like faced with something difficult? Um, Totally. That was a big wake up call. Totally. Absolutely. Even just thinking about the, the things that you know about the healthcare system and how to navigate in ways that you wouldn't otherwise, just because you, you know, were in medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, anything else? So paleo yoga, really slowing down, saying no, sleeping more, anything else you did. And then when did you start to notice that what you were doing was actually impacting your symptoms? I started also on some supplements. I'm not sure what all I took. I think I took a multivitamin, vitamin D and fish oil, um, which I gave myself some props. It was a decent stab. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> not a bad way to start. There's a recent study of like how impactful vitamin D and fish oil are on autoimmunity. So I was, I was going in the right direction. Um, <laughs> and I, how long did it take? Ooh, I, uh, I would say it was such small changes. I remember the first time I was able to open a jar by myself and that was Mm -hmm. like a moment. Yes. So that was, that was when I started to notice. And then like little by little, I had a, I I could move around easier when I woke up Mm -hmm. maybe like a year ish after the first diagnosis and I moved home and all that started. Um, not a year after the symptoms started, that was about six months prior, but about a year after I started managing it, um, Mm -hmm. I had, I was able to go on my first run and that was a big, a big change. That was like my first intense workout set for about a year and a half. So, uh, that's huge. And for people listening, like that's huge. That's so much patience and faith that you had to have for a whole year and a half before you could even run, you know, it's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. Um, with, um, oh, and sorry, it was, you were talking about the opening the jar too. I imagine that there are sort of these little baby steps that gave you encouragement to say like, okay, this is working now. I'm really going to stick with it or double down or keep going. For sure. Yeah. So it wasn't, that was just like, those were the big moments I remember, but it was, it was probably if I had to guess two or three months before I felt much of a difference. Okay. Um, and that's how, that's actually pretty consistent with what I see with a lot of, I work with a ton of autoimmune patients now mm-hmm. and a couple of months of people really, really make shifts. That's about mm-hmm. what I see. So that makes sense to me when I think back. Um, and there were a lot of other like changes along the way that I made because of how I was feeling. Like I made the decision in my third year of medical schools when all this was going on. And I was just like adored my surgery rotation. They really were like, you need to be a surgeon. You're this. <laughs> and I, I had like a big heart to heart with my biggest mentor in, in medical mm-hmm. school, this amazing surgeon who does whipples all day. Wow. And, um, 
he was like, you really need to do this. And I was like, I need to confide in you what I'm struggling with. And I need to know how you make this work in your life. And he's like, I, cause you're such a good doctor. I would want to be the kind you are. And he was like, you know, I, um, I spend time with my family and I, I work out and I work. That's, that's my life. That's how, and I love it. And I wouldn't change it, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of room for a lot of other things. Um, and I was like, well, then I'm not doing it because I have to spend so much time on myself right now to get, I have to have the sleep. Like I have to spend time on myself. I have to move my body or my health will not work. So I've already like learned that lesson. So that, there were big shifts along the way, mm-hmm. like the way I was living my life that this helped me navigate. And that was all within that year too. You had to make some hard, big decisions, just knowing what was going to be best for you long-term, which is not always easy to do in the moment. No, but I think of it now, like I made so many healthy choices that I wouldn't have otherwise probably implemented without like mm-hmm. point that got thrown in my, in my path, mm-hmm. um, that I'm sure is preventing all kinds of other, other problems from, of course. <laughs> of course, I think it's all, it's so interesting. Like each of us, our paths and depending on our specific situation and our genetics, what what those pain points are. Like when eventually our body says, Hey, I've had enough and we need to change, whether it's, you know, a metabolic condition or autoimmune or cancer or whatever it is. Um, sometimes, you know, there's something that, that comes up that tells us, Hey, something needs to change. Um, so tell us about like how life is today. Now you're how long from your diagnosis and what is, how do you feel now? What is, what is your life like today? I'm on 10 years. Um, Life is great. Only <laughs> time, actually, I um, have struggled to bounce back from. I can feel what, like, probably would be a flare in another life. Um, I haven't been on any medications for lupus or steroids for flares or anything for like eight years. Um, my antibodies are completely normal now. Um, my CRP was, which is an inflammatory marker we check um, for people who don't know, it was like between five and 10 at the beginning of all of this mm-hmm. and 0.1 now. Um, so things are good. I'm feeling good. Um, I know when my body is shifting, like my aura ring helps me with it, but I just know, like, I know when my joints feel a little different, I know when I'm a little more tired mm-hmm. and when those things come into play now, I like double down on all of the things I know work for d- decreasing inflammation in my body and really supporting my nervous system and my like stress levels mm-hmm. is now what I believe to be the most influential factor of our inflammation. Um, and so the only time I've struggled with that and had trouble, uh, getting a handle on it was actually post COVID. Um, mm. I'm a really terrible methylator, which is now something I really look at deeply in my autoimmune patients. And I wish I would have known more about it when I was working through all of this. Um, but I know about it now and I can support that in myself now. And I think there's a lot of correlation there. And I, uh, had some more trouble than I expected with how metabolically healthy I know I am getting through COVID. Um, and then when I, like really wasn't quite feeling like myself a few months later, I was like, what would I tell a patient to do? And mm. so I <laughs> 30 for like a month and did yoga every day and stopped hit training and all the intense things. And I mm-hmm. prioritized sleep and all the same things I did at the beginning. And then two weeks into it, I felt amazing. So that is awesome. That is so awesome. Um, and what are the things that you said, like that you'll double down on if you notice a flare coming up, is it just pulling back on the intense exercise, sleeping more, 
giving your body a little bit more time to recover? Or are there other things that you do? The most influential and last I've been eating more inflammatory foods, that one can mm-hmm. have a high return on investment too. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if I'm really pushing it too hard in my life. Um, but if I'm doing pretty well, the most influential thing by far is stress. And I have to watch myself because I can try to, I think I'm fine. You know, I can like outthink things and my body feels it before I'm aware of it. When I get, when I put too much on my plate or I get too distracted Mm -hmm. and that's when I know I'm like, Oh, I haven't been doing my mindfulness practice as diligently, or I haven't been, you know, going to yoga as frequently, or I'm like a little bit more out of touch with my body. Um, and so when I start feeling those inflammatory symptoms, I'm a really big believer in the model of, uh, psycho neuroimmunology, which is like how, yes. yeah, you know, um, but for people who don't like our, our stress feedback is bi-directional. So like when we have stress coming into our bodies, whether that's from an intense workout or, you know, something stressful going on in your career or your family or your home or whatever it may be, or an illness, like it feeds into inflammation, but also our thoughts do. So it doesn't matter if it's real or perceived stress. Um, if you're ruminating on something or if you're not letting things in and through that you're going through and you're just holding them in your body, um, that also turns on those autoimmune or those, um, inflammatory or immune pathways. And so, that's one of the biggest ones for me. So I'm a big believer in, um, what I call body work with my patients, but mm-hmm. getting emotions outletted through, um, things like yoga, tapping, breath work, uh, movement, um, TRE, different, different, uh, modalities to get emotions and stress out of the body. Um, so I, I start to double down on that kind of stuff too. I love this. I would love to talk more about it. So we've had Dr. George Slavich on a couple of times, who's a big, psychoneuroimmunology researcher. Um, and I recently had someone on talking, Nick Ordner talking about tapping. Um, so I would love to just kind of put this all together, like, because I think what you just said is really profound and something that I didn't learn until only recently. It's not something that we generally learn, you know, growing up in life about how important it is to, you know, how important our thoughts are, but then how important, how our thoughts also then trigger our emotions. And if we don't let those, like you said, emotions move through and we, they become trapped, um, that's a a setup for disease and for inflammation. So can you just explain, I guess, sort of that whole framework again and how the different tools that you use with patients to help them, um, process through that? Yeah. And I, I think an example that hits home with people a lot is, um, the TRE, which is the shaking to release trauma. If you, if someone hasn't heard of it, uh, I have not heard of it. So if you could explain that would be awesome. Yeah. So you like shake your body until you like basically can't anymore and then just rest. And so that's different periods of time for different people. And it sounds kind of woo woo and crazy, but it's so like when I do these practices, I wake up and my heart rate variability is like doubled. Um, like my body responds so beautifully. And I hear that over and over again from patients. Tapping is another way to do this, but I think the TRE example is really cool because, um, I think that researcher, that uh, started this, which I hope I'm not messing this up, but I, I heard this described as like someone who witnessed ex- like big traumas, like those mm-hmm. big traumas. So this one was explosions um, in like war countries. And if you witness like a super loud noise or an explosion or really big trauma, um, if you witness kids experience that or animals, what do they do? They like quiver and shake when they're mm-hmm. scared. Mm-hmm. Like they move their body, they shake. And, um, adults are like, they're like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm, totally I'm fine. fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I got, got this. <laughs> and then, like, 
out in all these like awkward energetic ways for the next 10 years of our lives or you know, disease or all these like ineffective ways to deal with that energy. Um, and so that's, I think, an example that people tend to remember and resonate with. Um, but there's really profound science behind this, like the ACE study, which I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with, um, adverse childhood, either events or experiences. I don't I never remember I that. Experiences, but huh? either one. Yeah, but the more trauma children go through growing up, like the rate of chronic disease in adulthood just starts skyrocketing exponentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could go on and on, like the rate, the link between PTSD and autoimmune disease is really, really profound in the literature mm-hmm. as well. Um, so the science is definitely there. I just don't think we're learning it this way um, in medical school yet, which makes sense. It's usually like pretty delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether or not we're experiencing the stress in real time, or we are um, thinking about the stress, which is, this is another really cool study, actually, um, it still promotes the same inflammatory cascade in your body. So if you think back to a trauma, or even if you're not consciously thinking about it, but you're just holding on to it, mm-hmm. it can just like cause this low grade chronic inflammation that's going on all the time and also can link to things like leaky gut. And these are the things that then like whatever you put in your body or however you're moving your body, or if you're not getting enough sleep or you, you name it, whatever environmental trigger you want to add to like that fire, whatever match you want to add to like that fire, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it usually is a big, there's like a smoldering storm is what I find. And then like a big life change or a small life change. In my case, it was a cold, but for some people it's pregnancy or it's a big life event, like moving or divorce or, you know, these different things. And then that fight that like that match gets thrown on and then the immune system's like already ready on guard. And then it mm-hmm. finds the attack basically. So it's kind of how I explain it in layman's to people. Wow. Um, there is so much there. And I think it's so hard for us to wrap our heads around it because it's often things that we can't feel, or like you said, we've suppressed it so much, or we, we feel like we're fine. We feel like we're handling things. Okay. Um, we compare ourselves to other people and we think like, Oh, they're doing fine. So, um, why do I have this autoimmune disease? Um, but there's so much that happens in our nervous system, um, that often we're not necessarily aware of or, or conscious of, mm-hmm. um, so interesting. I w- I would love to dive to into just the stress aspect a little bit more because it's such a hard thing. And I'd love to just talk about how you, obviously you, you really were aggressive about it yourself and saying, I need to say, no, I need to move back home. I need to make some of these big changes, but it's often really hard for people to do. Um, and so how do you counsel patients? Maybe someone who comes to you with a new autoimmune disease diagnosis, um, how do you help them work through that process of, of seeing what it looks like in their life to um, really decrease stress or give themselves more time to, to heal and recover? Yeah, that's a good question. And I wish I had a direct answer for you. Um, to be honest, I don't think I would have been, I have a lot of empathy for patients who aren't ready to make those changes because I think I would have been in that group. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had to make the changes. Like my body wasn't working and I had to make the changes. And it was like this self-serving, like I wanted to finish medical school. I was still pushing toward in this type A way. So it was like getting my way. still. um, the surrender happened kind of later, uh, once I had more of this, like awareness of the whole situation. Um, so for me, I, I think I kind of got a loophole there. 
Um, and some people get that and some people aren't so lucky. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, I think these wearables that we have now and the, the data that we can get for patients is sometimes a really cool hook, especially for my really high functioning, like athletes, for instance, if they're burning out their HPA axis or they're like struggling with chronic inflammation from overtraining or those types of things, that's a patient population that this specifically tends to be helpful on. Like mm-hmm. you can get, if people see data that things are working, like if you see data, that heart rate variability is really important for autonomic nervous system health and balance and that how that leads to inflammation and other like disease processes over time. And you make like a scientific experiment where you back off and you, you switch two hit trainings for, you know, yoga or active recovery or sauna or whatever it is. And you watch that number rise and that baseline rise that tends to work and that Mm -hmm. or meditation can be a similar one. If like the, the key tends to be for some people finding objective measurements of things. So they know it works. So meditation, sometimes I'll use like productivity or, you know, if you start your day, like you, you do have time. If you don't have time to take an hour for yourself, you probably need to like Mm -hmm. (laughs) all have the same amount of time in the day and take that time and then see what happens in the next month. My guess is your relationships will improve. Your productivity will improve. Your body will start feeling better. You'll need less sleep. Um, so objective data is one, uh, but honestly, the biggest one people have to, people have to believe, um, believe that they can shift their body and that's mm-hmm. tough and autoimmune because they tend to feel really betrayed by their body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really have to try not to try to fix people and not to try to like show them and, and do it for them. Um, but rather try to like translate what's going on and tell them like, whatever it is, if you're ready or not, like I'm here I'm with you and we'll sit in this like dark room together till you're ready to <laughs> floor and it's all good. Um, when you want to make a change, I really believe your body can, and I hope you do too. That's kind mm-hmm. of the, the way I look at it. So. I love that. And I think I love the approach of using some of those objective numbers because I think, you know, short of your body screaming at you and telling you, you have to make a change. Maybe that can sometimes help people make a informed change earlier before it gets to that point or before they, you know, have the consequences. Um, but it's tough, like any behavior change, whether it's for, you know, insulin resistance or heart disease or anything else, you know, behavior change is hard and you really have to believe that it's worth it and important for you and, um, really want to want to change and have all the, all the tools and support around you. Yeah. And if people have children in their lives, especially (laughs) parents, um, Another thing I find is really helpful with my women in particular that are so used to giving and it's a common type of patient that gets an autoimmune disease. Oftentimes they're women, they're in healthcare, they're in, you know, these giving fields. And like what I tell a lot of these women is like, if this were your daughter, if I, you know, said you need to take more time for yourself or your body is going to keep getting worse, like and your answer to me or her answer to you was, but then work will fail and I need to do all these things and I can't let go. I can't drop any of the balls. Then I, I asked, what would you say if it's for your daughter, you know, mm-hmm. and that tends to like open the tear floodgates sometimes, but it definitely tends to hit like home in the heart place more, mm-hmm. which is kind of where, where that needs to come from. Like the objective data can like get you there to a degree, mm-hmm. but sometimes what happens is then once you get there, you're like, Oh, I'm better now. Like, you know, and you go right. back to the old, the old ways. So, right. Um, when you 
are working with a patient again, who's new autoimmune disease is just starting on this journey. Obviously there's, there's a lot of different levers that you can play with and it depends on where the person's at and what they you know want to start with and what fits into their, their life. But what are um, some of the factors that you're considering? So we talked obviously about stress being a big one, but when it comes to nutrition, sleep, exercise, what are some of the ways that you're working with patients in those areas? Yeah. I love that you use the word levers. I actually call them levers with my patients. And I love that term because I feel like we can leverage these different things. And one leads into the other. Like if you're eating healthier, it makes sleep better. And if you're Mm -hmm. sleeping more, it makes you more, you know, you can exercise more and it's actually adaptive. Um, I have six levers that I work with with patients, movement, nutrition, sleep, um, stress, purpose, and toxins. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I order them differently for everybody. So it's a mix of what will have the highest return on investment for that patient. Like if there's a big offensive offending agent that's happening, um, we have, we really have to remove that oftentimes, oftentimes it's diet, but if someone's sleeping like four hours a night, like we're just not going to make any headway, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, stress tends to be the most helpful but it's also the most vague. And if you're already inflamed and you're anxious and you're foggy and you're not sleeping well, and like, you don't feel good, it's that much harder to get a handle on that, like abstract woo woo stuff. Yeah. And so I'm a huge believer in it, but like, I wasn't there either. And so I usually tend to start with the like simpler ones that give people a lot of that, like positive loop feedback. Mm -hmm. So they're feeling better and they like trust me a little more and they trust Mm -hmm. the process a little more they're more able to surrender to the stress piece later. Love it. Love it. Um, with nutrition, are you obviously paleo was the approach that you used first? Are there things or, you know, gluten-free, I guess was your first approach, but are there things that you, um, really recommend for all patients with autoimmune disease or how do you approach nutrition? Yeah. So processed food, um, vegetable oils and gluten are probably the highest ROI that I see with people. Um, dairy for some is really, really triggering to or excessive sugar. It's a tough balance though. So depending on how like tightly gripped someone is, um, the more restrictive you do doesn't necessarily have a better outcome because it just kind of further propagates that like intense feeling in them and that like idea of scarcity. And so if, you know, if someone's just eating like processed fast food all day long, you got to get that out. And usually a trial of 30 days or so or 60 days of, you know, whole 30 or paleo or whatever version of that they feel is sustainable for their life, um, is very helpful, but there is a patient population. I had a patient like this not too long ago, actually, where we did something like this and she called me in tears and she was like, I feel like I can't eat with my family. I feel like I'm so broken. Mm -hmm. Like I can't do anything right. I can't even get these meals, right? Like I'm writing, I'm writing everything down and my mind's going a million miles a minute. And I was like, throw out the, the diet changes. Yeah. <laughs> throw it out. And we, we started a plan for her. The first part was like purpose and play and connection. So she was like, just not, she wasn't having any joy or happiness in her life period. So we just had to like lay off the gas pedal a little bit. So it's different for everybody, but those are the big, the big diet changes that are across the board. If it's not causing too much stress tend to have an, an enormously positive impact, which are not that different than what helps most diseases. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, when it comes to exercise, so you mentioned how you were doing CrossFit, you really backed off and just went to yoga for quite a while. Now you do, um, hit exercise again, but 
what is the sort of science behind that? Um, and why is it so important to play with that lever um, in the healing process? Yeah. So it comes down to like a couple of things like allostatic load and hermetic stress load and our like HPA hormone axis um, and exercise is inflammatory. That's how it works. And inflammation is really helpful in short bursts if your body can adapt to it and heal from it and grow from it. So like nature's version of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger with hormetic mm -hmm. stressors. Um, and my body was really adaptive to that for most of my life. And I still wish it was as adaptive as it used to be. Like, I wish I could just go crush it anytime I want. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to be that person again. I really don't. And I've, I've accepted it and I love it. And I occasionally can work out really intensely, but in general, my body thrives, my hormones thrive. Like I feel better doing about like 60 percent instead of the 115 percent I used to do. Um, mm -hmm. It really depends. We check a lot of this in our patients at Wild Health, like how much, you know, how much of a setup they have for inflammation, how efficiently they'll clear inflammation based on their genetics and oxidative stress. And so that comes into play. The wearables can be really helpful for this too. How, how well is someone recovering from an intense exercise? When someone is still with an active autoimmune disease that's actively symptomatic, less is more like almost across the board. Um, and that doesn't mean like you can't go to gyms like that. It just means you have to have the like self-respect to modify certain things and know your mm -hmm. body's limits and be able to listen to your body, which is kind of the theme for all of this. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Your body's pretty smart. Yeah. And I can see like with all of this, having to make some changes, a lot of times it's, it's a, um, sort of a threat to someone's identity. Like if intense exercise is a really big part of someone's identity or, you know, going 115 miles an hour with work and family and all these things, um, where that makes it really hard and where that, um, sort of pillar of purpose comes in too, of taking a closer look at like, why are we doing all these things that we're doing? What's really important. Um, so I imagine that that's one that really helps put the other pieces into place for your patients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some people are doing exercise to that degree because it brings them joy and it brings them health. And that's the case for a lot of people and they're recovering afterward and they don't feel guilty if they miss a day or like they're a worse person. And some people are doing exercise to that degree because they feel terrible if they miss it or they like are distracting themselves from other things in their life. The tough thing is, is I don't think I was in that category. I just think I let like every pillar of my life, like get too much for me at the same time. Um, so I have like a lot of empathy when, when people don't really know like what got them to that place. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I was pretty like blissfully ignorant too. Yeah. Like I thought everything was great. Um, until it wasn't. Totally. Um, so as we start wrapping up, I would love to just revisit, um, or just kind of thinking big picture as you've gone through this whole process yourself as a patient. And as you're now working, um, with patients with autoimmune disease, and you've transitioned from being a hospitalist, working with people with really acute conditions in that hospital setting to now being on the preventive wellness side, what are maybe some of the paradigms that you thought to be true about medicine or about health or the way the body worked that have shifted over your, over the past 10 years since you've been practicing. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, basically going from a reactive position to a proactive position is how I would sum it up. Um, catching things earlier, like why do we diagnose diabetes when we know like many, many points before on the A1C or even before that, the insulin, you can see there. <laughs> Like, why do we wait for full-blown disease? To, like, when we pick 6.5, yeah. <laughs> um, same thing with autoimmunity, same thing with so many things, uh, probably most things in our body. Um, autoimmunity is what I look at all day. Um, but, you know, I think my biggest take home from my experience and what I try to encourage patients to be advocates for themselves is like, if, if you are a doctor or a patient and someone, you know, if you're a doctor and someone comes in or if you're a patient and you're feeling symptoms, like catch things early, like listen to your gut and find a doctor that will listen to you because these things get, you know, once you have one autoimmune disease, the rate of getting more just starts growing. Um, you know, most people get multiple in their lives. I was one of those people. Um, the, once you get one, the immune system's turned on and then you can get, you know, two, three, four, um, when in reality, my symptoms of immune dysfunction started, you know, after these hefty doses of antibiotics I got, and I just didn't know what to look for. And mm -hmm. I think even if I had, if I would have gone to the doctor and had normal labs, I don't know that anything would have been done. And I don't right. know if anybody's doing anything wrong. Um, but there definitely are doctors that know things to look for sooner. We definitely do that where we work. Um, it's why I'm like so excited to be a part of this team, um, and find things earlier and like trust patients when they say something just doesn't feel right. You know, so I think listening to those things earlier and preventing disease before it sets in is much, uh, is a much favorable team to be on in healthcare. Although I have a deep respect for our, our typical healthcare or our Western healthcare, like, absolutely. I mean, I worked in hospital medicine and in a level one trauma center and did a lot of, a lot of critical care work. And I, I couldn't be more of a supporter, um, when you need it, you need it. And it's, a beautiful mm -hmm. so it's beautiful that you've been able to experience it from all different angles and all different ends of the spectrum. And you were starting to talk a little bit about wild health, but that was going to be my next question was what was it about wild health that really attracted you to the approach and why you're now working with us? Yeah, such a such an interesting dance there. Um, so I reached out to them before the fellowship even started. Mm -hmm. I think uh, maybe in late 2019 or early 2020. Um, and I I quit my job to start my own business, um, my own precision medicine business mm -hmm. before the pandemic started, which was oh gosh, so <laughs> <laughs> um, so terrifying. But uh, anyway, I really wanted to incorporate genetics and genomics, um, because I know I feel so strongly about the field of epigenetics and mm -hmm. the fact that that's really not, it's not like we're not determined by our genes, but the other way around. And, um, I, I love the work of Bruce Lipton and all these people. And I really wanted some guidance and I was like dying doing these PubMed searches. And I would like read some people's take on it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I trust this, you know, <laughs> I really liked, I felt like wild health. I feel like the guys really rode that line of evidence-based medicine and in a belief of a better way to do things really beautifully. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I reached out, I'm like, oh, I realized there's this fellowship starting. I can get some mentorship. Um, so it kind of started from there. I ended up starting my own company, um, and I loved it. Uh, and then, um, Matt asked me this question at some point along the line of like, 
did I want to do my own thing because I wanted to be in charge or did I want to do my own things? I hadn't found like a tribe of people that I believed enough in the way they were doing things. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful question, which she's so great at asking. So great at asking those kind of questions. <laughs> I think he asked me a similar kind of question. Like, <laughs> like you could do this on your own or we could do it together and have a lot more fun. <laughs> exactly. And I thought long and hard about that. I started just part-time for a while and, and it was just a really good fit. Um, mm. So I still do some work on my own, but I don't, I'm not taking patients uh, in my own business at this point anymore. Um, but I will happily see any patient that comes my way through well health. So awesome. Well, yes, we're all, it's been great um, working with you so far this year. And I know it's also great just to have more women around, right? Because it started with <laughs> a lot of um, men, which they're all awesome, but it's always good to have some female doctors too. <laughs> yeah, like it's been even fun to revamp. Like I'm, I'm working with, um, some factors that, that direct more towards women health, women's health within wild health right now. And like, even looking at how the genetics play out differently and like fasting, for instance, you mm-hmm. know, how it affects women versus men and like these hormetic stressors we talked about before, like there's just, we're, we're different in such beautiful ways. So totally so many beautiful ways to appreciate it. Um, I usually close each podcast with three questions that I ask everybody. So the first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Mm. Yoga, laughing or connecting with family and friends or my hilarious fiance (laughs) Uh, and probably getting outside in the sun. And I try to get outside and do something in nature almost every day. Love it. Love it. What is one thing that you think would have an impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or something that you're working on? That is such a good question. I want to be really honest. I think there are still areas of my life where I still have like, I've like gotten comfortable and feeling like I like know how to live in this world of uncertainty and vulnerability. And there are still areas of my life that like I hide from some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I would flourish like that much more if I could like loosen that grip even more in those areas of my life. Um, and so that's been something I've been exploring recently, like the things that are easier to hide, you know, like things that are more personal and easier to hide. And like, I think like diving a bit deeper into that, like calm outlook on life and not having such a tight grip on like how things are going to turn out or like how my business turns out or whatever it may be. Like, having a looser grip on outcome. Um, I have personally very strongly correlated with, uh, not only better outcomes typically, but (laughs) feeling a lot more joy along the way. Um, and my body feels a heck of a lot better. So I think, I think it's probably the stress piece for me as well. And there's always some work to do there. Absolutely. And we were talking earlier about just how great it's been for you, how long you waited to really talk publicly about your experience with lupus and how that has been such a positive thing for you being vulnerable and sharing your experience and how it's helped you, I think, relate with more people and help more people, even just this conversation and the people listening, I'm sure that it's, that it's helping or making people think differently about autoimmune disease. So I would say, obviously we're all working on doing it in different areas of your life, but we're glad that you, um, are doing it already. Yeah, for sure. There was definitely a little bit of shame there at the beginning, like thinking, well, healthcare providers think I can't like be as good of a doctor or I'll be like, will people treat me like I have a handicap or 
was reading these stories of like, if you have lupus, you're going to go on disability and like all these things. And it's okay if you need to do that. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't tell anyone for like 10 years or not 10 years, like six years. Um, and then I started to tell like close circle and now it's mm-hmm. quite public. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you, Erin? Healthy life is a life of service, um, to yourself and to others, uh, to be the best version of yourself. You can be each day in your own internal world. I, I, I find tends to like radiate that like service a lot more like fluidly outside. Um, and just allows you to be calm enough, like it within your life to listen to your body when it gives you cues to pay attention to. Beautiful. I love it. Well, this has been amazing. Um, thank you so much for, again, sharing your story, being so open and vulnerable about it, but also using that experience in such a kind and empathetic and intelligent way to help your patients and so many people listening. So I really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you? Where can people follow along with your journey? And then Obviously, we'll share where they can find us on Wild Health and check it out if they're interested in becoming patients. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, if you need any help with your autoimmune diseases or otherwise, I'd love to take care of you uh, through Wild Health. Um, I have, I'm really only active on Instagram, kind of. Uh, I'm not a huge social media person. Yeah, uh, I love your Instagram. I'm such a fan. <laughs> So and you've posted and you've posted some great ones for the wild health Instagram recently too. I'm so inspired by them. <laughs> My Instagram is at the Dr. Aaron because Dr. Aaron was taken. Um, so it's the Dr. Aaron and doctor is spelled out. Um, it's some, some personal funny stuff. My crazy dog, my family adventures, outdoor adventures, but a lot of health stuff that I'll post to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have uh, a website, which I'll be launching a blog soon on, um, and it's thedraeron.com. Cool. And then for anybody listening who's interested in learning more about wild health, you can check it out at wildhealth.com um, and learn more, ask questions, and sign up to be a patient. Maybe you could be a patient of Aaron or of myself. So we'd love to see you there. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.